Um, hence the series title, Weak But Strong. Uh, things that we don't necessarily think would go together. In this letter, Paul paints a picture of almost the difference between what, how the world views things and how God views things. And what, how the, what the world values and what God values. And um, one today we're going to look at something in particular of what, how the world sees something and how God sees something. But to first off, to introduce this topic, I want to tell you a story. Uh, a story um, maybe a few years ago now, I would probably say almost 10 years ago now, uh, me and my mate from university, we decided uh, that we were going to run a half marathon. Um, now, I, I like my fitness, I like my sport, but I'm not necessarily, that's quite a long time to run for an extended period of time. That's like almost two hours, potentially. And that, that sounds like a long time. So I, me and my mate, we're training, we're getting ready for this half marathon. It's in Inverness, it's on a Sunday morning, and we've been doing all the kind of prep that you do. We've been doing the training plans. Uh, we've been getting up early uh, before our lectures. So for me, being an art student, that was... Uh, early afternoon, getting up early afternoon to go for a run. Uh, We've been doing the right diet, we've been doing all that training, we've been carb loading as the weekend comes along, and then I get to Saturday morning before the race, and I remember that a number of us on a Saturday morning go to Seton Park and we play touch rugby. Now, I love, like, I I love rugby, and touch rugby is quite good because then that means I get all the attributes of how I play rugby, of being short and fast and, and kind of quick, and I don't have to deal with all the things I struggle with in rugby, which is the kind of getting nailed and the physical physicality of it, I can, you know, that doesn't matter. Uh, there's only so hard someone can push you or touch you in that, in that environment. So I'm like, great. So I'm going along. I decide I'm going to kind of come along and, and just watch. And as it turns out, it's like one team's got five, one team's got six. And I'm like standing there just watching like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that team's a little uneven. And I decide, I'm like, right, I'm going to go and play. I'm going to play. So I, so I, I kind of start off like going like half speed. And then if anyone knows me, I can't really do half speed. So I'm like full on playing this game of touch rugby. And I'm like, I'll be fine. It's only an hour or so. I'll be fine for tomorrow morning for uh, my half marathon. It'll all be good. Just have a few extra stretches, uh, a little bit of extra pasta. Be fine. The morning of the race. We're in Inverness. We're about to go. We set off at our pace. And uh, my mate, he's setting the pace. And we're, at, we're kind of going, um, he's probably going for a 145. I'd be happy with like 150. But we're, we're setting off. We're going, and I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling okay. The legs are a little bit loose, a little bit tight. And then, and then suddenly, mile 10, disaster strikes. Like my, my, suddenly, like I'm not running anymore, but I'm like kind of waddling because my legs are so full of lactic acid. I'm like, I can't do any more. And I do that heroic thing, which you see in all the movies. And I say, just go on without me. Go on without me. And my mate, and I'm expecting them to be like, I'll, I'll carry you or something. Quick as a flash, he's like, right, see you there. He, he's off. So I'm like now three miles kind of waddling around the wonderful city of Inverness while people three times my age are uh, passing me. And every time someone passes me, they like kind of tap me on the shoulder, like, chin up, Connor, you can do it. I'm like, oh, this is demoralizing. Someone in fancy dress comes by me. Has anyone ever run anything in fancy dress? Anyone? I mean, yes, well done, Phil Clark. That's amazing. Yes, well done to you if you've done that. I mean, that, that just sounds like awful, but they're passing me. They're giving me words of encouragement. I get to the kind of home straight. I'm like there. My mate is there. He's cheering me on, even though he left me behind half an hour ago or however long, probably like an hour ago by this time. And I'm like almost like crawling over the line. And um, I look at my mate. He looks at me and I say to him, I think I've found my physical limit. 
And the point is that for all of us, we're all aware, very acutely or very awarely, of our physical limitations, aren't we? Some things, uh, our physical limits, they can be minor like that. They can be minor like a silly story like, Ali, you shouldn't have done too much exercise before that race. Or you maybe just need to stretch more. You maybe need to be more careful. But others of us, we're incredibly aware of our physical limitations. They can be broken bones. They can be illness. We can be walking through life with a limp. And the encouragement and the comfort of this passage today and throughout this letter of the of the Corinthian church that Paul writes to them is that he's aware that our bodies are weak. Paul's aware of his own physical limitations. We see in the, the kind of crescendo of this passage, the climax of this passage, he talks about his own thorn in the flesh. And just before uh, this, uh, this chapter, in 2 Corinthians 4, he says that we have treasures in jars of clay. Our bodies are those jars of clay, fragile cracks appearing. He recognizes, we recognize that our bodies are weak. But society portrays that our bodies, that we should be in a situation and a position where actually we can do anything. That we can almost live like superheroes 24-7, non-stop. The popularity of uh, superhero films portray this, that this is who we should be, being able to do anything. And the reality for men and women alike is that we juggle multiple things. Our work life, our home life, our family life, our church life, our hobbies, our interests. And that the everyday life, we realize, actually, that takes a toll on our body. We can't handle the pace. The daily life in our society and culture says that we should be living like that. But we can be so aware of our physical limitations. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I look in the mirror and I think, gosh, how can I keep going at this pace? How can I keep going? I feel physically limited in, in some areas of my life. But with this awareness of the physical limitations of the body, Paul doesn't say, they're there, it's okay. Or, just keep going. What he says, is he says these words, he says, we can be confident. And you might be thinking today, how on earth can we be confident in the physical body right now? How can we be confident in that way? So the question that we're wrestling with today is, how do we live confidently in our physical bodies? And we're going to unpack that through 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 9. I'm going to read it out now. And if you want to uh, turn to that in your Bible or find it on your phone, you can do that now. And I'll I'll just read this now. It says this, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, 
and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are home in the body or away from it. So that question today is how do we live confidently in our physically fragile bodies? And there's three things that Paul shows us of how we can live now with that eternal mindset in mind and what that means for us. Three things, confidence in what we know, confidence in what we receive, and confidence in who we know. So confidence in what we know. Uh, The passage is often titled in this uh, letter, is called Awaiting the New Body. And Paul is really kind of clearly wrestling with the tension of uh, our bodies now and what is to come. And um, we see that in a number of images he shows in the first five verses. And then we see in verse six and also verse eight, that crucial tension, that contrast that we see. He says, we are always confident that as long as we're away from, from, we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. And then vice versa, we're confident to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. It's like that whole home and away thing. There's, we're, if we're at home in the body, then we're away from God. And if we're away, away from the body, then we're at home in God. There's that like, kind of contrast there. And where we are now is not our permanent home. It's temporary. And we should have hope in that knowledge. Paul is saying we can be, have confidence in the knowledge of what is to come. This is what we are looking forward to. He says in verse 1 that we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, built not by human hands, but by the Lord himself. We have that confidence. Something permanent, not temporary, awaiting. It says we will be clothed in our heavenly dwelling. And then in verse 5, we have a deposit of the Holy Spirit guaranteeing what is to come. That knowledge that we have and that we possess and that we bring from this passage, that can give us confidence in the knowledge of what is to come. You might be sitting here, your current body, your earthly body might be failing, but we can know that that will not always be the case. That's a real comfort, isn't it? That our current bodies may feel like tents, they may feel fragile, unstable, tossed about in the elements. Our heavenly bodies will be an eternal home, safe and secure in its foundations. But what is the importance of that knowledge? So that knowledge is helpful, but what does that mean for us in our everyday lives? So uh, I remember when I just started dating Jill, who is my wife now. She wasn't my wife at the time, obviously, hence why we just started dating. And uh, we'd been out in Aberdeen for the day, and uh, we'd been out shopping. Now, um, I... Um, I'm more of the shopper than Jill, so she'd probably been dragged around the shops by me. And um, we'd been uh, going out, and then uh, we'd, we were kind of coming, coming back to my house where I was staying. I was staying at my parents' house, you know, ways to impress a girl. Go out with them when you're staying at your mum and dad's. And we were uh, going for a quick bite to eat, and then we were going back into town because we were uh, helping lead uh, what... Uh, Catalyst Youth, or before it was Catalyst Youth, it was Encounter, and before it was Encounter, it was Mezzo. So we were leading Mezzo that night, and I think it was like a movie night, uh, but someone had left us in charge, which was interesting. And um, we were uh, just getting a bite to eat, and then uh, going back out. So uh, I had kind of worked out, it's like, okay, right, we're going to go, we're going to leave this time, I'm going to 
lock up the house and then I'll uh, unlock the car and we'll be on our way. So I lock up the house as you do, go to the car and then I'm like, oh, don't have my keys. So I'm like looking around for my keys, can't find my keys. Uh, got it. Keys must be in the house. I've left the keys in the house. No drama. All good. Go to the house. Could be, could be there. No keys. I've managed to lock my house keys and my car keys in the house. Absolute disaster. Again, ways to impress a girl, isn't there? That, that's not working, is it? So I'm, I'm then like kind of going into problem-solving mode. And I'm like, okay, so I need to try and find a way to get back into the house without kind of, you know, but still playing it cool with Jill. So that it's like, okay. I think she was probably aware of everything going on the whole time, but I was like trying to be sly about it. So option one, in my head, I was like, right, I know that I can climb over the gate at the back, and also if I put uh, one of the uh, wheelie bins up, I can get onto the flat roof, and then I know that the bathroom window is open, so I'm going to try and climb in there. It didn't take long to realize that that was a bad idea, so I decided, let's not do that. Let's not have a trip to A&E as well um, alongside that. So I decided that's not the good option. Number two, I could uh, go around to uh, the neighbors who I know probably have a key. I could explain the situation to them. They could give me a key. I could get, get out. That would be fine. Turns out no one's in. So I'm like, right, rubbish. All the while trying to play it cool with Jill. Like, it'll be fine. It's all fine. I get to option three. This is my final option. Phone my dad. You know, Probably all of you would have got to option one first, but I was like, okay, phone my dad. He will bail me out. He'll be able to let me in. What I forgot at the time was that my dad was in holid- on holiday in Aviemore with, uh, with my mum. So they are on a cycling trip, but he takes the call. He hears my distress cry, and he comes down. He lets me in. I get both sets of keys, and then he drives back off to Aviemore. I mean, what a legend. It's a good story for Father's Day, isn't it? What a legend my dad was there. Just drove down, no, no worries, and it was all fine. The point is that we always have access to our Heavenly Father's home. That is the truth. That is the knowledge that we can take home today. We always have access. Our bodies may be failing, our bodies may feel weak, but we always have access to our heavenly home. When we pray, when we uh, communicate with God, when we draw power and strength from our heavenly Father, we draw power and strength from our heavenly home. How amazing is that? That we are never locked out, we always have that access. And for some of us here, we might feel locked out of our own bodies at the moment, but you are never locked out of your heavenly body. We are always welcomed in. We can always rely on his strength and weakness. That is the confidence we can have in that knowledge today. We can be confident in what we know. We can also be confident in what we receive. The first image that we saw Paul uh, contrast was the image of the earthly tents and then the image of the heavenly uh, home. The second one is uh, the image of people who are longing, groaning to be clothed. And people who are clothed in their heavenly, uh, in their heavenly cloaks. We see that contrast, the groans and the not, and the longings of of the not yet with the now as well. And Paul highlights that tension that we all feel within ourselves, that we don't want to be exposed, we don't want to be vulnerable. He says in verse three, "When we are clothed, we will not be found naked." 
We groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed. That is the heart of humanity for each one of us, isn't it? We don't want to be exposed. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be naked or afraid. We don't want to be rejected. Paul speaks right into that, into the now. And we can sometimes take that into our spiritual lives as well. We can say, God doesn't like what he sees. If I let the barriers down, he won't accept me. If I take off the spiritual makeup, he won't like what he sees. He won't accept me through that. But Paul says, we won't be found naked. Those who know Jesus are clothed in his heavenly dwelling. An amazing truth. But what does that clothing look like? Well, we can find the answers in another of Paul's letters. In the verses, uh, Colossians 3 is a letter to the church in Colossae, verses, chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. This shows us the answers of what that clothing looks like. He says, take off the ways you used to live, the ways of anger, the ways of rage, the ways of malice, the ways of envy. And then he says, instead, clothe yourselves with compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Forgive one another. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Our heavenly clothing are these attributes, are these characteristics. So when we show these attributes, these characteristics in the world, we are bringing some of that heavenly clothing down onto us now. Not being exposed but being dwelling in his clothing and dwelling in his presence. We can have that confidence in the clothing God is giving to us that we will receive from him because it comes from Jesus. But what does, uh, what does that mean again for us today? What does that look like when we, when we wear these heavenly clothes? What does that look like? What, what kind of truth can we take from that? So um, as if, you, if you know me any, any kind of, for a particular length of time, you'll know I love films. And um, I sometimes try to be a little bit snobby when it comes to films. I try to be like, oh yes, yes, you saw the, the character arc there of the denouement of the characters and the climax that came in there. It was wonderful, brilliant acting. I tried to be a little bit clever, but secretly, not secretly, but actually I do love a blockbuster. Who loves a blockbuster? Yeah, yeah, come on. We do, we do. Let's not, let's not shy away. Um, and some of the films that I absolutely love recently have been the Marvel Avengers films. Uh, you may have seen them uh, they're brilliant. And um, what they are is there's, uh, they bring a number of people together who have extraordinary powers to help uh, look after and uh, protect the world. Their mission statement is this, a group of remarkable people coming together to see if they could be something more, to fight the battles we never could. And the original group of Avengers is made up of six characters. Uh, there is uh, Iron Man. He's my favorite. Uh, just thought I'd let you know that. Uh, there is uh, Black Widow. She's uh, like very good at the martial arts, but the, the fighting. There's Hawkeye. He's very good with a bow and arrow. Uh, can shoot from anywhere. Always hits the target. There's Hulk, uh, which is my wife's favorite, who is a raging green monster. I don't know what that says about my wife or anything, but there you go. There's Captain America. He's uh, got a really sturdy shield and is also uh, like truth and honor and justice. And there's also Thor. And Thor is who we're going to talk about today. And Thor is the Norse god, small g, of thunder. 
And um, the journey of his character all the way through these various different films is um, the kind of question that burns inside Thor is whether he is worthy of his mantle. He is the heir to the throne. He is supposed to be the one that is going to lead his people uh, into the next stage, into the next generation. But always he has this internal battle. It's conflicted of whether he is worthy. He always asks, it boils down to that question, am I worthy? And one of the weapons that Thor has is a bit like this. <laughs> it's a hammer. It's not this exact hammer, you'll be pleased to hear. It's a hammer called Molmir. And um, he can call upon this hammer. It can, like, he can like use the force almost and it comes to him. He can call upon the elements. He can call upon lightning. He can call upon thunder. He can swing it really fast. And uh, people can get hit by it. Um, but the only person who can hold this hammer is the one who is worthy. So every time Thor calls upon this hammer and he feels the hammer in his hand, he knows he is worthy. Through Thor's... Uh, I'm going to put this down now. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I got told in Merns last week that my hammer wasn't uh, dirty enough. It was far too clean a hammer, apparently. But then again, in the DIY, it's my wife's hammer. So, you know, never mind. Uh, but I'm glad you told me to put it down. Health and safety would be having a field day. I'm not wearing a high-vis jacket. What's all going on? Um, so through... the story arc of Thor's character no matter if he's in peak physical condition or if he's not if he's a bit chubby around the edges no matter if he's feeling on top of the world or he's feeling down in the dumps he can stretch out his hand he can pick up Molmir and he knows he is worthy and the point is we don't need a hammer to know that we are worthy We've already received the gift of worthiness through Jesus. When we put on those clothes, those character attributes, those characteristics, we can know we are worthy. But that hammer is a good reminder for us, isn't it? It's a good reminder to just put in our minds in our every day, if we're struggling, we can know we are worthy. The next time that we do DIY, we pick up the hammer, we can know we are worthy worthy. The next time we listen to MC Hammer, we can know that we are worthy. The next time that we watch a Rogers and Hammerstein musical, we can know we are worthy. I was trying to think of so many hammer puns, I could only get three. Um, when the Father sees us, he doesn't see us exposed as vulnerable. He sees what Jesus has done and he sees that we are worthy. When we display these attributes to the world, we can show that we are worthy. No matter how we look on the outside, how we feel, we are worthy of our heavenly clothes. We can have confidence in what we receive from God. So confidence in the knowledge, confidence in what we receive, and confidence finally in who we know. So the first two points, they're kind of almost confidence, a little bit of a future hope coming. There's some elements of they're already happening now, but a lot of it is waiting for those to come. The heavenly home and the clothing, they're, they're here to an extent, but we're also waiting in that tension. But the key through all of this of how we can be body confident now, today, and in the future is found in verse 5, where it says, God has given us this Holy Spirit as a deposit 
guaranteeing what is to come. We can have confidence now because the Holy Spirit is here working among us and in us. It's that deposit of what is to come. The future promise is guaranteed because of the Holy Spirit whom we've already received. In John 14, it says the Holy Spirit is the advocate. He will teach us all things, will remind us of everything that Jesus has said. And in Acts 1, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Or another translation of that is, you will be clothed with power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit is here and now, and we can be confident as we see him moving in our lives. We can see what the Holy Spirit can give us now. And the Holy Spirit allows us to live with purpose, says that God has fashioned us for a purpose through the Holy Spirit, says it's given us the ability to trust in him, says we live by faith and not by sight. And the Holy Spirit gives us adoration to God as well, where we make it our goal to please God. We can trust and rely on the Holy Spirit in those truths of the future to come and also now. The Holy Spirit is that now of the kingdom. When we see the Holy Spirit break in, we can see God's kingdom on earth, that deposit of what's to come. But what does that mean today? What does that mean when we're thinking about looking at ourselves in the mirror? What does that mean with uh, the Holy Spirit, of how we can be confident in our bodies? Well, the first thing is, and I say this lightly, but that we can pray if we have need to require healing, physical healing, we can pray for that physical healing. We can do that in confidence, not in our own strength, but in the Lord's strength, that he will come, that he will intervene. And sometimes he heals people. It's brilliant. We rejoice. Sometimes he doesn't. And we have to live with that tension. So we can pray for physical healing. We can pray uh, for our bodies in that sense. But also, we can pray for that inner healing of how we see ourselves as well. And how we do that in our church, one of the practical ways is that we look at prayer ministry. Uh, Often when we look at ourselves, we can have all sorts of insecurities, worries, anxieties, disappointments. But when we meet for prayer ministry, which is a number of sessions of a couple of people praying for one another and just uh, asking God to break in, we can see how God sees us, that we're already perfect in his eyes and that our insecurities fade away with his affirmation. And I say this not as an exercise, not as a way to promote prayer ministry, I say this as someone who has wrestled with my own image recently of thinking, I'm not as fit as I used to be. I don't look quite the same that I used to. And that got me thinking that actually I, I, I used to, or I, I did. I was like, oh gosh, how people see me is, is more important to me than I thought. How I look on the outside is more important to me than I thought. So I've been wrestling with that. And I was had the privilege of, of two people standing with me in prayer and prayer ministry and um, just just laying hands on allowing God to speak. And one thing that God did say to me in that was that he gave me an image, a picture of a, a big white wall, big stone brick white wall, and then on it there was like kind of graffitied uh, words on it. And these words were good words. These were like loyal, dependable, um, kind of strong, um, like loving, caring, all those things. Um, 
But what I felt God say to me through that was that the wall, the white wall was God. And those words were what people had spoken over me. Really good words. But instead of trusting in God, I was trusting in those words. So I was, and almost, if those words, if those words didn't come from people, then my confidence, my self-esteem would go down. And I was able to kind of break that of those words and allow myself to rely and trust on God himself in that. And so I would recommend that for anyone who may be struggling with those situations, particularly let's talk about Father's Day, particularly as blokes, we don't always talk about this stuff. If we're struggling with that, I would recommend any of us to have prayer ministry because if if God can do that for me, he can do that for you. If he can do that for me, he can do that for you. Receiving prayer ministry is just one more of Jesus in your life. The Holy Spirit is available to us now. The deposit of what is to come. Why would we miss out on that? So to finish, when we look in the mirror, when we see our physical limitations, what can we have confidence in? We can have confidence in what we know. We can have confidence in what we receive. And we can have confidence in who we know. Why don't we stand and I'll pray for us.